everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. A few years ago, there was this behavioral uh, experiment that went on. It was uh, a, a bunch of researchers got a bunch of college kids together. Some of them were guinea pigs. And uh, well, let me, let me recreate it for you. And I'm, I'm going to invite my family because they're the only people I feel totally confident sharing my germs with and the germs that I touch with this, uh, with this ball. You didn't know um, that I'm an athlete. And I didn't know it was that funny, but... So what all they did, it seems like a banal sort of experiment of just tossing the ball around, but uh, just see if you, if you catch anything in this. And they just did this for a while, just seeing what would happen. Have you noticed anything yet? Well, I'm sorry, who? What about her? Oh, okay, that's, yes. Uh, we give the Ganyu family a little uh, round of applause. See, and poor Rosa, <laughs> she, she wasn't in on this, and neither was the experiment of people who were observed by these sociologists, tossing the ball, trying to keep it aloft. At, the fix was in from the beginning, though. The plan from the outset was that one of the members the Rosa of the group, I'm sorry, Rosa, I knew you, you had a strong enough self-identity that you could handle it. Um, the ball was never gonna be tossed their way. So one of them was out of the loop, so to speak, and it was unbeknownst to them. Now, try to put yourself in their shoes. And I don't mean just for sort of 15 seconds like that, but I mean for an extended period of time where you're, you're in a group, the, 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 the popcorn randomness of the ball starts to go from here to there. There's laughing. There's sort of this general sense of camaraderie. You, you keep waiting for your chance, and it never comes. And you're patient at first. You, you, know, you smile when the others smile. You inch a little, a little further into the circle, kind <clears> of <throat> draw your attention a little bit. But your smile is starting to becoming a little more forced now, right? Till eventually you conclude, that ball ain't coming my way. And maybe this game isn't for me. And you pretend like you didn't even want to play anyways, and so you, you stop trying after a while. Maybe put your hands in your back pocket. The researchers discovered something very interesting, that the ostracized person, we'll call them, um, at that moment, sorry, at that moment will experience an increased sense that life is meaningless. They'll, they'll experience a lack of purpose. They'll experience feelings of depression starts to hover in that moment. Now, 
Imagine that this isn't an experiment at all, but it's actually symbolic of someone's life. Instead of waiting for a ball to come to them in a silly game of of catch, they're waiting for someone to call or, or drop by or speak to them or notice them, right? You, you can't express it, but you're hungering for some sign that you are known, that you are seen. But no one calls and no one asks how you're doing. And it seems like no one listens to your thoughts, to your worries, to your joys. You are alone. And loneliness, I mean, I don't have to tell you this. It has become a societal epidemic in, in Western capitalist societies. The picture I just painted may actually be a little too close to home for some of us, especially, I mean, we're in the midst of an unprecedented global isolation. Uh, it's a separating of relationships. And I know it's all for the greater good of our health, and, but social distancing is creating some real social distancing, right? Isolation was an issue before the times of COVID and the pandemic is just accelerated. Well, I think to the point of a of crisis, a relational, emotional crisis. And I mean, I don't know if there's any upside to this, but if there is, it's that as we've experienced this collective trauma together, I don't need to sell most people on the need for each other, on the need for relationships. The idea that we were created for community is is an easy sell. Most of you are feeling it intrinsically these days. How many of you, show of hands, had to consciously stop themselves from hugging somebody today? Yeah, yeah. And some of you, I noticed... Uh, still went forward with it, and shame on you. No. Uh, we've, we've seen long before COVID, you know, this increasing separation, isolation, a privatized faith, um, an isolated existence. You know, maybe our relationships, even before COVID, we're starting to exist almost exclusively in the digital realm. A community is, is harder to find these days. It is. It's true of the big cities. It's true of small towns. It's true in our neighborhoods where we open our garages in the morning, go to our offices or workspace, come home, close our garages, and don't really know our neighbors. Um, and here's the saddest part. This is what I really want to talk about. It's often true in our churches too. Let's say we hired one of those secret shopper, consultant, observer types. We sort of had a consultant in in Eugene about three years ago, but this is somebody who maybe just observes from from the back uh, seats. What would that secret shopper find in us? What would they observe about the way that we treat each other? Would they observe something different about the way we treat each other outside these walls? Would that person find any clickiness in us? Would they 
notice a willingness or an unwillingness to support each other in a time of need. Um, As it turns out, there was actually a study. Uh, A number of churches allowed themselves a few years ago to be analyzed in just this way, to be observed. And what they learned was, was a little troubling, actually. In a series of interviews with, with members, they were asked things like, uh, how many of those present in the worship service do you know personally? And the great majority of church members had to admit that they actually knew a very small percentage of the people. And those who gathered for worship on Sunday were, for the most part, an anonymous group of worshipers. Here's the thing. The most disturbing part I found was the fact that many of those who were questioned actually expressed little interest in becoming more involved in the lives of those who they called church family. The, 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 they thought that relationships had little or nothing to do with, with the Christian life. And I'm just going to say it. Uh, those people couldn't be any more wrong. Relationships in the church are absolutely indispensable. The Bible has a whole bunch to say um, regarding the Christian life and how it was never meant to be done alone. Here's what the Apostle John wrote. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, any DC talk fans in the house? No? Okay. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us all from sin. It seems to me experiencing salvation is, is, involves not just a personal salvation, but it involves the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and each other. Uh, all kinds of scripture will support me on this. It's something that the early church understood and they lived out. It, it just... It just wasn't in the earliest church's paradigm to imagine a Christianity that consisted of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is something that we kind of hear a lot about today, right? You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, which I believe is true, but I don't think they would have considered a personal relationship with God apart from a vital relationship and fellowship with his people, the church, his bride, that was part of genuine Christianity to them. So what is real fellowship? Um, is, it, is it visiting in the foyer or in our case, in the parking lot after? Is it a small group Bible study? Is it a potluck? I mean, fellowship might include all of those things, but it's so much more than any one of those things. You know, one of the dictionary definitions of uh, a found on fellowship kind of summed it up for me. It said that it is companionship. It is mutual sharing as of experiences, activities, interests, 
a group of people with the same interests, brotherhood, sisterhood. I don't suppose any of you old timers like me um, remember the Greek word for fellowship. It was used a lot in the 80s. Very good. Who said that? You get a dollar. Okay. Koinonia. And it comes from uh, this Greek root word that means common or shared. Basically, um, fellowship means a, a common participation with others. And so fellowship is the experience of real Christian community as we share our common faith, our common purpose, our common love for God, each other in the world. It's, maybe it's why um, corporate worship takes on a, something meaningful when, when we do it together and we're in, we're in commonality. We're sharing our, our shared love for God. And I got to say, in terms of what it means to be a faithful Christian, like, this is not an option. This is not something we can take or leave from the great theological smorgasbord in the sky. This is, well, you know, we talked weeks ago about revelation and eschatology and end times. And honestly, I would say there's a lot of that stuff that we can debate and discuss and lovingly disagree on. But on this koinonia stuff, we can't. This is what you have signed up for as a follower of Christ. When we became Christians, God placed us in a Christian community and commands us to practice real Christian community. So how can we be faithful to God without being faithful to each other? I don't know if we can. Now, I bet most of you are, are agreeing with me in theory. You know, I don't have to convince you that real Christian community is important. But you have been around the Christian block a few times, and you know how difficult this is to achieve what I'm talking about. You know, we face real challenges in, in getting authentic Christian community. Challenges like, how about the North American independent streak that is kind of sewn into the fabric of our culture? How about that we are far more busier than maybe any generation how about many of us live great distances from each other and it makes just harder to see each other, be involved in the day-to-day life of each other. You know, the geographical reach of this church alone is, is kind of crazy. Chris and I uh, last Easter uh, found that out the hard way when we started making sort of family deliveries. By the way, we're going to do that this week as well for back to school. Uh, just a little way to say that we are thinking of families with children, but we made about 30 different stops and we found out the homes can go in 40 minutes in every direction. And people are more transient than ever, aren't they? Like it means people go from congregation to congregations more frequently. And I suppose it's tempting for you to avoid getting close to anyone because, well, who knows how long they're going to be here for. None of these are excuses. They're just, they are challenging, aren't they? They are the realities that we face. So let me, let me pitch it to you, why I think Christian community is so important. I'd say first and foremost, and you're going to think I'm 
exaggerating or, 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 or using, um, uh, what's the word that means to, uh, no, just like hyperbole. Thank you. Who said that? Was it Jeremy again? Ah, is that Joel? Nice to meet you, Joel. And very good. You get a dollar. <clears throat> hyperbole. But I, I think it's for our survival. Whether we know it or not, whether we admit it or not, we need each other. You think of the backyard fire, right? The campfire. And you have a bunch of burning coals. You put them all together. You have a strong fire. You take one of those coals out and leave it by itself. It's going to go out. We need each other. And we need each other for survival because we're in a battle. And the Bible says it's not a battle comprised of guns and swords. It's not even a battle necessarily comprised of flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle, but it's a battle nonetheless. You know, you've, you like me have probably seen those military movies where the, where the drill sergeant comes out on the first day of basic training, right? And he's staring at these young, anxious recruits. And, uh, and he says something like, for the next nine weeks, right, you're going to be involved in the toughest experience you've ever had in your life. And he says, many you know, are not going to make the grade. It's just going to be too tough. He tells them about the horrors of battle, uh, maybe his own experiences fighting the enemy. And the sergeant talks about how this training is going to be tough because it's designed to save lives. It's designed to save your life. And he said he was going to do that by making them face their greatest fears and overcome their weaknesses and endure what they never dreamed possible. And then the sergeant announces that they're about to start with step one. And there's a pause and all the soldiers are are fearing the worst about what step one might be. But they're surprised with his simplicity because the stern drill sergeant tells the soldiers to find a buddy. He says, this is step one. You need to find yourself a buddy. You'll stick together. You'll never leave each other. You will encourage each other. And if necessary, you will carry each other. Now, that's dramatic stuff, right? That's life and death stuff. I would suggest that each of us need more than one Christian buddy. We need a family of Christian buddies, okay? A second reason real Christian community is so important, and this is what I kind of get excited about actually, is because it will actually draw people to Christ. You know, community is not something that we just need. It's something the world needs and it, it longs for. It's something they're looking for. Jesus said this, all men will know that we are his disciples if we, what? Love one another. Yeah, you can still talk under your mask. Larry Crabb is a name, just raise your hand if you've heard that name before, yeah. Christian psychologist, here's what he said. A central task of community is to create a place that is safe enough for the walls to be torn down, safe enough for each of us to reveal our brokenness. For anyone my age or older, um, 
which is increasingly getting uh, a smaller segment of society. <laughs> Just see if you can finish these lyrics for me. Okay, don't put up the picture yet, Leila. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you gotta go. <laughs> Very good. All right, this 80s sitcom about a bunch of barflies, sometimes I think painted a more attractive picture of what the church is supposed to be, a place where you are known, a place where you truly know others, a place where people care about you and know your name. Chuck Swindle uh, talks about an old Marine Corps buddy of his that, to his pleasant surprise, actually became a Christian after he was discharged. And they got together and he said to Chuck, you know, the only thing I still miss is that old camaraderie that we used to have with the guys down at the tavern. I can't find anything like that for Christians. I don't have a place to admit my faults and talk about my battles where somebody won't preach at me or frown or quote me a verse. Isn't that sad? Now, I might even make the argument that depending on his triggers and his addiction or conscience, he doesn't necessarily have to give up his tavern time, but maybe um, he shouldn't even. <laughs> but here's my point. The church should be leading in the kind of culture that he's describing, right? The bar flourishes not because we have some outbreak of alcoholics necessarily, but because God has put into the human heart a desire to be known, to love and be loved. Um, and so many seek this counterfeit at the price of a few beers. With all my heart, I believe that Christ wants his church to be unshockable, a fellowship where people are able to come and say, I've had it, I'm beat I'm done. Alcoholics Anonymous has that quality. And a lot of our churches don't. You know, the early, the early church offered a real Christian community that provided something that really wasn't available anywhere else. And, and we can do the same. We can. You know what happened? The church, it says, grew daily. And the same can happen today. So, that's the longest introduction in the history of, of introductions. All I really want to do today is, is, is tell you where we're going this fall. Um, weekly, I would like for us to unpack what I'm calling one anothering. You know, again and again in the New Testament, writers encourage, exhort, challenge believers to engage in specific activities that epitomize a healthy body of Christ. And, and for those of you new or maybe not raised in a Christian home, we as Christians are often referred to in, in the Bible as the body of Christ. And it's this beautiful symbol. You know, I'm a toe and you're a nose and over here's an ear. And um, it's no sense us acting independently because what good is a, is a big toe 
to anybody, but rather when we're working together as different parts of the body to be the work, the message, the love of Jesus. Now that's, that's powerful. So these New Testament writers uh, frequently used a word to describe this, this mutual and reciprocal process. And it's a Greek word, which is alelon, alelon. And it's translated as one another. And as far as I can tell, that word is used 59 times in the New Testament. Now, this is not going to be a 59-week series. Uh, I know there was a collective uh, in, the, in the group. There's a lot of doubles in those verses. For instance, it says some version of love one another about 16 times. I mean, more frequently than any other. That's no surprise. That is foundational to all meaningful Christian relationships, right? To love one another. And there are other one another verses that can kind of be grouped together in in similar themes. But there's no question as to what the greatest, the most important one another is, and that's to love. And what I would even suggest is that the other one another's Um, that we're going to be studying this fall are really unpacking or describing love in action. How, uh, how we can actually love one another in tangible ways. And so this fall, we want to really dig in and live out what it means to one another, each other. I'm going to close with this. I want to tell you something that maybe is, is going to feel hard to hear. Let me start with the good news. Um, New Market Alliance Church has a well-earned reputation as being a welcoming, friendly church. That was certainly my experience. And then I was so proud to hear as your pastor that that was maybe most people's experience. It was... Uh, It was one of the attributes of our community, actually, that caused a lot of people to stay and and actually begin a relationship with God. That's true. Let me tell you something a little more sobering. I've had conversations with different people, some who've been here years and years, um, and their experience has been, yes, a very friendly church, but, but only to a certain depth of relationship, only to a certain vulnerability or inclusiveness. You know, they've gotten so far relationally before hitting a wall. Now, that's not everyone's experience, and I'm glad it's not far from it. But you hear that story enough. You hear it about yourself enough, and you realize that this is an area where we can, we can grow. And I can't help but wonder what God would want to do in our midst, what he will release in our community when we really start to one another, each other. I'm excited about the journey that will take this fall. I know that this study of God's word has actually potential not only of changing us individually, but actually changing me, changing our culture, changing our church as a whole, making us a people 
who don't just come to church, but who are the church, a people who go and, and be the church, a real Christian community. So I'm, I guess I'm asking you if you would join me in what I believe is this godly dream uh, to build a real Christian community here at, at New Market Alliance Church, a one anothering community. And if you are not yet a Christian today, then I would invite you to, to follow Jesus, become a Christian. It will be the best and hardest and most meaningful thing that you do. And the amazing thing is that God will immediately add you to this heavenly, timeless, worldwide family. And maybe you'd even decide to be part of this specific local family that we call New Market Alliance Church. If you are a Christian this morning and, uh, and you're willing to study and grow and discover and practice and maybe even do a little homework, I, I can't, I can't help but think that we are on the verge of being the kind of church that God truly desires us to be, a one anothering church. Isn't that the church that, you know, does music well? Isn't that the church that does, you know, video and, and drama and has good youth? And here's what I would like our reputation to be. Isn't that the church that one another's each other so well? Carries each other's burdens, encourages each other, loves each other like family. God has modeled what it means to one another as he pursues us in this reckless kind of love, a love that um, doesn't ask to be reciprocated. I'm sure it it longs to be reciprocated, but he, he pursues us in spite of our distancing, in spite of our rebellion. I am, I'm so grateful for a God that has pursued me. So I want to pursue him. And as, a, as an act of love, because he first loved me, I want to be the kind of guy who pursues my brothers and sisters in Christ who notices when tough things happen to them, who cares about their spiritual growth. Will you stand with me as we worship together?